0: Good morning, how are you guys today? It's good to see you. Thanks for coming up here today. The gospel lesson that we just heard from John's gospel and the hymn that we're singing tells us a very famous Bible story about one of the disciples named Thomas. And it's so famous that we've kind of given him a nickname, this guy named Thomas, from this song and from this Bible account. Do you know what the nickname is? What do we sometimes call Thomas? Anybody know? the doubter, right? Doubting Thomas. And I I think that's kind of an unfair nickname, because I don't know if you are listening real carefully or not, but at the very beginning of the gospel lesson, we heard that all the disciples, except for Thomas, who wasn't there that Easter Sunday evening, were hiding in a room with the doors locked, afraid of the Jewish leaders. But do you know what had happened just a little while earlier? Some ladies had gone to Jesus' tomb and they found it empty. Remember, we talked about that last week? They found the tomb empty, and as they were going away from the tomb, guess what happened? Jesus appeared to them. They saw him with their own eyes, they touched his feet, they worshiped him, and then they ran back to tell who? The disciples. They went to tell the disciples what they had seen, that they had seen Jesus and touched him. And you know what all 10 of those disciples did? Doubted. Why don't we call him doubting Peter or doubting John or doubting James or doubting Andrew? All the disciples doubted. It wasn't just Thomas. Jesus appears to them when they're afraid in this room and he says, peace be with you. And then they're super excited. So what do they do? They tell Thomas. And Thomas doesn't believe either, just like they didn't believe the women. And then one week later, what does Jesus do? He appears again, this time to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, touch the nail marks in my hand. Put your hand where the spear pierced my side. Stop doubting and believe. And this wasn't the last time Jesus appeared to people. We're told in the Bible that he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters in Christ, to over 500 people who saw Jesus with their own eyes so that they could go out into the world and tell others, tell you and me, we saw Jesus alive. Do you think they believed that they saw Jesus alive? Absolutely. They saw him. They touched him. Now, you and I have not seen him, not with our own eyes. But we have heard the Word of God. We have heard the testimony of all these Christians who saw Jesus with their own eyes, who know that Jesus is alive, and who want you to know it too. Today we're going to hear the Apostle Peter teaching us in God's Word how awesome it is to know that Jesus really is alive right now, that we have a faith which holds on to Jesus. Who not only died for the sins of the world one time, but who also rose from the dead. And when you and I have a faith that holds on to a Jesus who is very much alive, that has an incredible impact on everything we experience in this life, even the hard times, even when we're suffering. Today we're going to talk about how a faith which holds on to the fact that Jesus is not dead, but alive, helps us even when we're suffering. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for showing yourself not just to one person, but to hundreds and hundreds of people, for showing many of your disciples, over 500, that you did not stay dead, but rose from the dead, so that they could go throughout the world and continue to tell people that you are alive. Thanks to them, we know that you're alive too. Help us to cling to this truth, to hold on to the truth that you are not a dead Savior, but a living Savior. In your name we pray, dear Jesus. Amen. The portion of God's word that we'll focus our attention on this morning for a few minutes comes from 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our risen Redeemer. Amen. Do you know what juggling clubs are? They look kind of like bowling pins and jugglers use them. Yeah? How many do you think I can juggle? (laughs) Harold on Thursday night blurted out, one. (laughs) I could do one. If I told you I could juggle nine, would you believe me? I heard a yes. (laughs) You'd want proof, wouldn't you? Have you ever thought about what's needed for you to need proof of anything? There's really two factors. Number one, you want to ask yourself, well, how unlikely is this? And number two, you want to ask yourself, well, how important is it? So highly likely that I could juggle one, agreed? Think I could throw one up and catch it? I might drop it every now and then, but you think I could throw it up and catch it? I think so. I'm pretty confident. If I told you I could throw one juggling pin up in the air and then catch it, you'd probably say, I trust you, I don't need to see the proof, and it doesn't really matter anyway, so I'm good. I trust you. Take your word for it. But if I told you I could throw nine pins up in the air and catch those things, and juggle them, you'd want to see proof, because it's unlikely, the world record's currently nine, and not only was it nine pins, it was 11 touches, which means no one has ever completed two full cycles of nine. They managed to throw the first two back up again, and catch them all. There's no way I could do that super unlikely but is it important if i told you that amazon was going to deliver nine brand new juggling clubs but they weren't going to be here till somewhere between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. how many of you would stick around till 3 p.m. to see if they came and to see if i could do it how many of you would come back at 3 p.m. to see the juggling show i'm guessing not a one of you why it's not important you couldn't care less if I could juggle nine clubs or not. But keep these two factors in mind, the likeliness and the importance. When we're talking about the resurrection from the dead, nothing could be more unlikely from our perspective. Why? Because everything that we know that lives dies, and everything that we know which dies stays dead. And so the likeliness of a resurrection from the dead is, is as unlikely as unlikely can be. So you'd want proof. It's also important. As important as anything in the whole wide world. Why? Because everything we know that lives dies. And because everything that we know which is dead stays dead. The resurrection from the dead is the most important thing imaginable. And so our need for proof... Is as high as it can ever be. You cannot have a greater need for proof than in the case of the resurrection of the dead. And today we see that the proof of Jesus' resurrection is overwhelming, and that overwhelming proof brings remarkable peace. Now there's a lot in this lesson from 1 Peter chapter 1. There's probably a hundred different sermons here. And I'm going to do my best not to try to preach all 100 to you this morning. I'm going to try to stay laser focused and stay on one main point. But we will walk through it for a couple of notes along the way. So if you'd like to pull it out again this morning, we're going to take a look at verses 3 and 4 to begin. Peter, who progressed from the guy who was afraid, locked in the room to so the guy who sees Jesus and tells Thomas about it, who proclaims this news to the people in Acts chapter 2 and is now writing this letter, says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Interesting to note that he uses a word for hope here and not a word for confidence. Confidence is for the present. It's for the here and now, for right now. Hope is very clearly for the future. And so this living hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus has a a future focus to it that's highly significant. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Notice the present. Is kept in heaven for you right now. It's not as though this inheritance isn't ready yet or it's still being finished off. It's ready right now. God has it and it's being kept in heaven for you. And what kind of inheritance is it? It is one that cannot perish, spoil, or fade And the last two words of that first section are the words, for you. That connects us directly to verse 5. For you who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This gives us a good opportunity to talk a little bit about faith. and This is going to be our main point for today. You all know someone whose faith has been shaken as a result of suffering. Maybe it was yours. Maybe a great deal of physical suffering, emotional suffering in this life has shaken your faith or the faith of someone that you love. Now, that's an important thing for us to wrestle with. Well, Why does that happen? The question with regard to faith is always this. On what or on whom is that faith holding? Because faith always holds on to something. Now, think this through in your mind, a little hypothetical situation. If a person deep down in their heart believes that God, if he's a loving God for real, would prevent his people from suffering. If you or a person you know believes that, if you believe that a loving God should prevent suffering, then what happens to faith which holds on to that God when suffering comes? You ever think about that? If a person genuinely believes that God should prevent suffering, what happens when suffering comes? Well, the faith which holds on to that God, the God who should prevent suffering, is burned up because suffering is kind of like flames of fire which burn against that faith, which test it. And it will be revealed based on what it holds on to. And so a person who thinks God shouldn't allow them to suffer and then finds themselves suffering or sees someone else suffering, that faith we shouldn't be surprised to see burn up completely. But what happens if that faith holds on to a different God? What happens if that faith holds on to a God who sent his son who was crucified for all sin and then who rose from the dead? Promising to us through his merit and through his merit alone this inheritance which is out in the future a living hope Not now, but in the future. A living hope which cannot perish, which cannot spoil, which cannot fade. What happens if your faith is holding on to that? When suffering comes and begins to burn away at it. How is it different? Peter in the next verses is going to use a picture of gold. And it's an important one. When gold is refined, it is put under very high temperature. It is burned. It is melted down. And any impurities in it burn away. But what happens to the gold? It remains. And what you're left with is pure gold. But even that, purest gold, one of the most valuable things in the world, will be completely consumed on Judgment Day, will completely disappear But Jesus says, your faith, which clings to him who was crucified and risen from the dead, who is very much alive today, forever and ever, and who promises you an inheritance which cannot perish, spoil, or fade. Your faith, which clings to him, cannot be destroyed even by judgment day. It will endure into eternity. That faith, which clings to him, far more valuable even than gold. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Literally the word there is testing. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What's the message there? We have a God who very much allows suffering into our lives. We do not have a God who has promised to keep suffering away from us, but we do have a God who has promised to put that suffering to use. Who's promised to use suffering like flames which refine gold to refine your faith, to test it, to see what it's actually holding on to. If that suffering causes your faith to burn up, you were holding on to a false god. But if that suffering refines your faith and makes it pure, it is a perfect shield of God's power, which will protect you into eternity until you arrive in that precious inheritance which will never perish, spoil, or fade. And so the question, of course, is what is your faith holding on to? To whom do you cling? Peter's encouragement is to cling to the crucified and risen Jesus. Why? Because he's actually alive. Peter saw him. And not just Peter. Doubting Thomas saw him and was not doubting Thomas any longer. Church history tells us that Thomas traveled as far as India, proclaiming the word of God, and then died a martyr's death. Why would he be willing to do something like that? Why would he be willing to suffer a martyr's death? Because he was holding on to the truth. He was holding on to the fact that the Son of God lives. That the Son of God, through his innocent suffering and death, has won an inheritance for a world full of sinners, which is so much better than anything this world can offer. And his faith was a shield, the power of God, that protected him and still protects him to this day. Listen to that last verse once again. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. At the beginning of this sermon, I mentioned the importance of proof, especially for the resurrection. We need it. It is essential We need proof that Jesus really lives. The encouragement today is to see all the evidence that runs through our readings. These guys were scared out of their minds, doubting that anyone could come back from the dead, but all the disciples saw Jesus alive. After that, more than 500 of the brothers and sisters saw Jesus alive, and when Peter stood up to preach, The message of the resurrection, he pointed to God's promises. Promises given through King David and so many others that the Messiah would not die but would come back to life after his death. It was a promise that was fulfilled in Christ. And then for the rest of their lives, the disciples lived what it looks like to believe that your Savior really is alive as they were willing to go through unthinkable suffering so that you and I could know, so that a world full of lost sinners could know that Jesus really did die for the sins of the whole world and that he really does live. The proof is overwhelming and it brings incredible peace no matter what suffering surrounds us. I'd like to leave you with a challenge today. We've joked before here at Mount Olive about the stereotypical american greeting how you doing today great good to see you and you how are you doing oh i'm doing great you know that behind that facade there is often great suffering you know because you've done it many times throughout your life you've told others that you were great when you were awful inside when you are suffering some of the greatest pains you've ever felt your entire life. Today we've had an opportunity to review how God uses that suffering even for our blessing in this life. My encouragement for you this week is when you engage in that typical American greeting, maybe ask the person a second time, how are you really? I really want to know. I genuinely care. I know that sometimes I've told people I was great when I really wasn't. I hope you are great, but how are you really doing? Maybe that'll give you an opportunity to point someone to Jesus who lives, who is alive today forever and ever, the Jesus to whom your faith clings, that their faith might cling to him too. Amen.